Hi there, my name is Emma Edelman, and you're listening to Tangible Grace, my story of hope. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode six of my podcast, Tangible Grace. This is my story of hope through difficult times and uh, my my biggest hope through all of this and telling this story is that uh, someone else will hear it and understand that they are not alone, that God is always with them and that they can always turn to Him no matter what struggles you're going through. If you haven't already, I really highly recommend that you go back and listen to the first five episodes of this uh, podcast because it definitely gives you kind of a history of who I am, um, and then builds to this point. And, uh, I'm just kind of keeping on going with each episode. So you definitely want to know what's, what's already happened. So you kind of get a grasp of what's going on. Um, the last episode, episode five, I was incredibly humbled and grateful to a few people who, um, poured into this podcast through email, um, and talked about who I was to them back in my dark days, as I like to call them. And uh, I just want to once again thank those people, uh, those individuals for doing that. I really appreciate it. And I hope that for the listeners, that was something to just realize, like you, you may not even realize it when you're going through difficult times, but people are there for you. The people who care about you will always be there no matter what. And uh, that is just some, a really, really big thing to grasp onto and to remember and hold tight to. So anyway, I want to start before I get into this episode with a quote, excuse me, <clears throat> from um, Maya Angelou. And it says this, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. You know, I think it just, for me, certainly, having uh, been working on this podcast for a while now and having told my story in different venues to different people over the years, I definitely can relate to that because up until the point that I actually plucked up enough courage and really truly asked God to like use me as a vessel to tell people my story to help others, I was terrified. And um, I felt like I had all this kind of, I don't know, pent up like stress and tension inside of me because I knew that I probably had something that I should be sharing with the world because other people were going through it too. And to tell people how God had carried me through, how he had worked in my life to where, uh, you know, I am now today, I just really knew that that was something I had to do. And so I really relate to that quote that, you know, if we don't tell our stories, they just are, they're just building up inside of us. And once you tell your story, no matter what your story involves, it is like, for one, it's a release for you. Um, because now it's out and you can openly talk about it with people and pour into people and they can pour into you. Um, but also it's an, it just gives other people an opportunity to share their stories as well. Like once you open up, then others are going to open up to you as well. And that is huge. And I said it, um, in the first couple episodes for sure that once I'm done telling my story on this podcast, I would love to be able to use this podcast to tell other people's stories. So, um, 
keep on listening because soon in the next episode or two, I'm going to have some information on how you can get in touch with me so that possibly we could record your story as well. Now, I'm not thinking that these are going to be as long as mine as far as like, you know, multiple episodes, but maybe you could just tell your story in like one episode in a 45 minute span, um, enough that it could really help someone else. And hopefully it helps you too. Uh, I think that would be such a really cool thing. Uh, so be thinking about that and praying about that. And like I said, I will let you know in the next couple episodes how we can do that. And it'll be on the website, Instagram. I don't know wherever we're going to post all this stuff. Uh, the information will be there for you to check out and find out how to do that. I think that would be really cool. Um, So at episode four, which is kind of where we left off in the journey that is my life, um, I was in jail. I had been arrested, and my the only person who I knew without a doubt would come get me and bail me out um, was my boyfriend at the time, and he had also been arrested. So at that point, I pretty much knew... I'm in here for the long haul. Like, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. And so um, that's where I kind of want to pick up. And it's kind of cool because if you listen to episode five, which, again, is like this little break away from the story, but just kind of others pouring in and telling what how they felt and what they thought about me back then, um, you know, they all knew that I went to jail. They all knew what I was struggling with. Uh, Some of them even said they didn't know how to help because I was so shut off from everything and everyone. I had turned away from everybody I loved for the most part and was just living this dark, dark life. And um, to hear that now and to look back at where I was and, and when I was in jail, to know that those people still came and saw me, that they still loved me, they supported me. When I got out of jail, they were there for me. It's just huge. It's a tremendous thing, and, and I, I really can't put into words what that meant to me and what it still means to me. But um, as it stood from where we left off on episode four, I was in jail. My boyfriend was also in jail, and I didn't know what was going to happen, right? Um, I had my bond hearing, and my dad came. And I apologize. I may have said this little part in the last episode, but I can't remember. So I'm just going to say it again. But my dad came. um, My mom refused to come, which now that I'm a mother and I understand, I get it. Sure. uh Uh-huh. And it must have been awful for my dad. But he came and he brought somebody um, from the church with him to my bond hearing. And they actually, we all all actually thought that they were going to let me go that day. This is like day two or three of being in jail. We thought that I was going to be let go. I had a court-appointed attorney who could not believe that I was in jail because here I was, 19 years old, just, you know, not your your typical jail person, if that makes sense. And I'm not trying to stereotype anybody, but that's just, you know, that's just what he said. Like, I didn't fit. I just didn't fit. My age especially did not fit. And so... Um, we just really thought that the judge was going to be merciful and let me out um, that day. However, uh, the judge actually with or upheld the, the fe- uh, felony charge, which is what kept me in jail um, or put me in jail in the first place, and I was not released. Um, I could have been bailed out, obviously, like I said in the last episode, but my parents refused to do it. Anybody who... Um, knew anything about where I was at at that point in my life, and especially the people who knew my parents, uh, 
knew that there was a reason my parents were leaving me in there. I was 19 years old, right? And an only child, um, and had been this, I don't want to say model kid, but like up until a certain point, I I had just been great in the church and school, everything. And then a sudden like roller coaster downhill, um, you know, steady, steady, whatever decline. (laughs) Um, and my parents were like, yeah, something's not right. And I guess they just knew that they, if they had let me out, if they had gotten me out, that I wouldn't have changed. And today I can tell you that's a hundred percent accurate. Back then I was furious, of course, why would nobody come get me? But looking back now, I know that if I had been released within the first week of being in jail, I would have gone straight back to my old ways and it would have been devastating. Um, and I probably wouldn't be here today to tell you, uh, this story, or at least it wouldn't have looked like this. So, um, so anyway, I remained in jail and, uh, I befriended some people in there because that's what you kind of have to do, especially I was the youngest one in the pod. And, um, I just, you know, people kind of, some of the older women just kind of came around me and looked after me, looked out for me. I have some incredible stories of things that happened in jail of the people that were there. And that will have to be saved for something else. Cause that's not really relevant to the story. Although some of them are quite hilarious. Um, also some of them are quite scary, but, um, it was just a, definitely a learning and growing time for me. Um, that was forced on me. Obviously this was something that I had not planned. I didn't think I should be in jail, et cetera, et cetera. It was an opportunity for me to, um, come off of drugs and, uh, the saving grace for me for sure during that time was that, uh, that jail, which is the Clayton County jail allowed you to smoke. And I was a smoker. So I still have my cigarettes. And I honestly think, It sounds ridiculous, but I honestly think that's what got me through with my sanity because I was able to still smoke and just that, you know, release that tension in that way. Um, So anyway, um, I remained in jail, spent most days watching TV, and this is during the Olympics when the Olympics were in Atlanta. There was a TV in the pod, and we would all during the day sit around the TV and watch all the different Olympic events. Um, you know, we had our meals at like 5 a.m., 11 a.m., and 5 p.m., and then nothing else. So you went for 12 hours without food unless you had snacks, which thankfully people were putting money on my books, so I was able to get some snacks. But, man, it was rigid and, and really, really difficult. Um, I was able to gain a little bit of weight, not much, but a little bit of weight back from uh, the drug use. Um, I was able to detox. And, uh, it was while I was in jail that I actually had two Bibles given to me. One was given to me by the chaplain, the jail chaplain, and the other was given to me by one of our pastors at our church, our core officers. Um, and that was, uh, just so meaningful because I spent a lot of time reading and reading the word. Um, I also spent time playing games, especially card games with the other ladies. Um, I don't want to say I became popular cause that sounds really weird, <laughs> but I definitely wasn't an outcast or anything like that. Um, I, I tend tended to fit in 
Um, which generally I kind of have a way of doing in most situations. I figure out a way to fit in. Um, and, uh, my roommate, my cellmate, I should say, uh, was actually a really old lady. I want to say she was about 80 years old and she came in the same day as I did. And she, uh, was actually there for marijuana charge. (laughs) She was actually dealing marijuana out of her, uh, home And so the judge had let her get her affairs in order and then ordered her to serve however long in in jail. And she happened to come in that day that I came in. And so when we finally got a cell, it took a while for the first few days we were sleeping on mats in the in the pod, like out out in the open because the jail was so overcrowded. But eventually um, we got a cell and she was my roommate. And the funniest thing I remember is that every night she would take her false teeth out and put them in a cup of water. Um, and she would proceed to smack her gums all night long. And it would absolutely drive me crazy. Like, oh my gosh, I can't even explain it. I can, I can hear that sound now. <laughs> now, it was awful. But anyway, um, during my time in jail, I was there for just under a month. And during that time... Um, we only were allowed to go outside once, so I never saw the light of day for almost, well, for one time, and it was right at the, near the beginning. After that, we weren't allowed to go outside because we were put on lockdown so much for people's behavior. And, you know, if one person behaves badly, the whole pod is, um, punished. And so we were not able to go outside um, which was pretty devastating to me, obviously, and well, I'm sure to m- most of the women in there. Um, but, you know, you just kept going and doing what you had to do. The only time you came out of the pod was to go to the store to get the jail store to get cigarettes or food or whatever. You would line up in the hallway and get whatever you wanted based on how much money you had on your books. Um And that was once or twice a week, depending on punishment. So you would stock up with as much as you could because you never knew if the next time it was going to be taken away from you. So Uh, I did receive a lot of mail while I was there. Lots of people wrote me, especially from the Salvation Army, and I appreciated that a lot. I do remember one card that I received that... um, I forget what the actual cards, like the front of the card said... But inside, I think it may have been like a get well soon card or something like that. Um, and But the inside said, I couldn't find a get out of jail soon card, so I chose this for you. Or something like that. And that was definitely a funny moment for me. You know, you had to find the humor, find the, the happy moments um, in such a gloomy situation. But throughout um, the entire time... Like I said, I spent a lot of time in the Word of God, spent a lot of time in prayer, um, reflection on where my life had come to. Um, I did have to go to, uh, that's another time I did leave the pod, I I had to go and see the doctor a couple of times, uh, initially because of my detox, um, but then just if I didn't feel well or something, that they would take you out to go see the the medic or whatever, but... um, It was definitely a transforming time. And again, like I said before, this is something that was planned by God. This moment when I went to jail and no one would bail me out was a God thing. Um, Because I needed that time. 
I desperately needed that time by myself, away from all the influences, away from drugs, away from alcohol, away from, you know, negative people and things like that, distractions. Uh, and I really, really appreciated that. So the whole time I was in jail, I had a court-appointed attorney. And like I said, he really couldn't believe that I was there, didn't understand why my parents wouldn't come get me at the very least. And of course, at that point, I was with him. Like, yeah, I don't get it either, whatever. But um, he continually told me, every time I would talk to him or talk to someone in his office, he would tell me that he was going to get me out somehow. Like, I wasn't going to have to stay in jail the whole time. Because the issue was, you, you remained in jail until your actual court date, when you actually went before the judge to try your case. Um, this is a felony, so it obviously was not a jury thing. It was just a date to go before the judge, and they would sentence you to whatever for the crime that you had committed. The issue was that because of the overcrowding, because of the backlog of cases um, in that county at that time, you know, there were women in there with me who had been in there a year and were still waiting on that that trial date or that, you know, that sentencing date. And um, my fear was that I was just going to be stuck there indefinitely. You know, it could be a year, it could be longer. There was absolutely no telling um, and getting information from the government, from the, the you know, prison or whoever is just virtually impossible when you're an inmate. And so it was really, really hard. But he kept telling me that he was going to get me out some way or another. It got to the point where he had said it so many times that I just had written it off because I could not, you know, at this point, if you're going to do it, do it. Like, just stop telling me because it's just it's making it worse. Um, so after uh, just about three, three weeks and a couple of days, I think of being in jail, um, this one day we were sitting around playing cards. It was the middle of the, or actually it was the middle of the afternoon or close, like soon after lunch. And it had already been a really tough day and it's going to sound funny when I say this, but a lot of my friends who I had befriended in the jail had been released that day. Um, and, you know, that's kind of depressing because, you know, these are people that you've kind of built up some sort of form of relationship, some form of trust with, and now they're going and new people are coming. And it's just, it's really, it's really uneasy. I mean, I'm sure you could probably try and imagine what that's like. And so it's kind of really, there's a couple of us that were still there, but like our little core group, if you will, um, several people have been released. The other part for my, which I should tell you for my, um, my case is that up until that point, I had been stealing from my parents. I had stolen a ton of money from my parents to, f to feed my habit. And I did not know whether or not my parents were pressing charges because I knew the amount of money I stole was enough that they had to talk to their bank to get it you know, rectified and all that. So I didn't know if they were going to press charges on me. So my fear also was that if I did get released, I would just be arrested by another county immediately or be transported to another county, which would have been DeKalb County. So part of me is, is living with that as well. Like, yeah, I really want to get out of this place, but am I really going to get out or am I going to go to another jail? And, you know, I didn't have a dialogue with my parents per se. I would talk to them every now and then, but I would never ask them that because I was terrified. <laughs> so that was in the back of my head as well. 
However, um, so like I said, this one day, lots of our friends, my friends had been released. Um, and we were all kind of feeling a bit down, just playing some cards, playing some hearts, um, and smoking cigarettes and, uh, what have you. And I kind of started blocking out the announcement and the announcement would come over the, the main speaker into the pod that would say, whoever it was, their first and last name, pack your bags, you're going home. And this had happened so many times that day, not just my friends, but other people. Like for some reason, lots of people got released that day, um, that I just blocked it out. You know, whatever, keep going, keep moving on. It's not me. Well, um, we're playing cards and suddenly, uh, everybody around me stands up and starts clapping and cheering and I have absolutely no clue why. So me, because guess what? I'm in jail with all these people who are most likely criminals and, um, the youngest one there and just, you know, terrified stand up and start clapping and cheering too. Cause I'm not going to be the one that's not doing it. Like, come on, <laughs> that's like suicide, right? So I'm doing this. My friend next to me, she's like, did you not hear? And I'm like, no, still clapping, cheering. Woo, yay. She's like, they just told you to pack your bags. You're going home. I was like, no, they didn't. I didn't hear that. No, they didn't. And she was like, I'm serious. They did. Well, of, of course, a big part of me wanted to believe her. But on the other hand, I'm not going to go running and packing my bags if it wasn't true. So I just kept clapping and I came across the speaker again. And this time you could tell they were irritated because they can see us. They know who we are and they can see us. And obviously I was not doing what I was told to do. So they came across again and kind of snapped and were, you know, Emma Priest, pack your bags. You're going home, you know. So, oh my gosh, what? So I like ran into my cell, got a pillowcase, put everything that was personal that I was allowed to take out of the jail, you know, my Bibles cigarettes, um, anything, just anything like socks, things that, that I knew I could take and went to the door. And as I walked across that pod, they just continued to cheer and clap. And I can tell you that that was one of the most significant points of this whole journey for me, because these are people, most of them, I didn't even know, but they obviously knew who I was and where to gotten around who I was and that, you know, None of them felt I should be there. And they also, my friend later told me, because I went back and visited her, because she was still in jail. She later told me that, you know, a lot of them, just in those few weeks that I had been in there, had seen this transformation in me from this, um, first of all, terrified, but hardcore, like, you know, I tried to be really hard and tough and whatnot, even though I was terrified. Um to this kind of girl that obviously realized what she had done was wrong and needed to change her life. And they could sense that and see that. And that was just such a special thing for me. Um, and so I went out of this, out of the pod, uh, with the officer and they took me to, um, you know, where they check you out or whatever and, uh, gave me back the clothes I had been wearing. Um, gave me back my pocketbook they gave me the money that was left on my books, um, gave me a sack to put all my stuff in. And I walked out of the main office area into like the reception or the waiting area. And there was nobody there. It was absolutely dead. There was no one there at this point. I want to say it may have been like four or five in the afternoon. Nobody there. 
And I was confused because, you know, usually when you come out of that room, there would be whoever bailed you out would be there waiting for you to take you home or take you wherever. But there was no one. So I literally turned back around, went back to the window and the lady's looking at me like I'm crazy. Like, girl, you, you know, you just got released. Why are you coming back? But um, I went up and I asked her, I was like, do you know who bailed me out? And she was like, she described the lady, but she didn't have a name. She couldn't give me a name. And the person she described, I had no idea who that was. It was so strange. Uh, so I immediately went to, there was a payphone in the waiting room. So I went to the payphone and called my parents on the one number that I have for them. And they didn't answer. Um, and so... I called their neighbor, uh, or they lived close by, and um, they told me that they had gone out to eat um, and that they would come get me. And I told them, no, no, my parents need to come get me. Um, can you just let them know that I'm I'm out and I'll call back? And, uh, you know, they, uh, they guessed what time, so I told them I would call back. Well, of course, I don't want to stay in this jail. So I come out of the jail into the parking lot, nobody there. And I'm in, this is now Clayton County. This is before there was any public transportation down there. I don't even know if there is now, but there definitely wasn't then. Didn't have money for a cab or anything like that. Didn't have enough. Um, and so I went uh, to the street, the main street, and honestly didn't really even know where I was other than um, I had I think I asked, I must have asked the lady inside. I don't actually recall doing this, but I'm assuming this is what I did because I headed in the right direction. I probably asked her where the nearest gas station or store was, and she had told me, I guess. And so I went out to the main road and started walking along the side of the road in my t way too big for me clothes, baggy clothes, with this giant garbage sack full of junk from whatever I had accumulated from jail. Um, as well as my Bibles, and just wandered along this, like, country road. It was, I mean, it really was back then. I don't know if it still is, but it was not. This is not a built-up area at all. It's in Lovejoy, Georgia. Um, I hadn't been walking very long, and a pickup truck pulled over, um, like, not, not right beside me, but close enough, and there was a guy driving and a lady in the middle of the front seat, and they asked if I needed a ride. And I didn't even think twice, which I don't know. I think I was just, I was still in so much shock that I was even out. Like, you know, a couple hours ago, I was sitting in the pod playing cards, smoking cigarettes, being bummed out and all that. And now I'm free. So I said, sure, got in their truck. And I was grateful that I did because um, it was a couple miles down the road to get to the store. But they took me, and on the way, they asked me, were you just released from jail? Gee, what gave that away? Um, and uh, yes, and they wished me luck, dropped me off at the gas station that was there. And um, I went in. I think I bought a soda or something and something to eat, some candy or something. And then the, the payphones were outside uh, on the corner of the lot. And so I went over and tried my parents again, still no answer. So I sat there for about three hours. Now it's dark um, until I was able to get a hold of my parents and they drove down. And, you know, it's a good hour just for them to drive down there from where they lived. And they drove down and they didn't really know what to say, um, you know, 
it's I again I can't really imagine what they were going through because they didn't know who got me who had gotten me out and I didn't either and that was the thing like I got in the car and my dad wanted to know well how did you get out like who got who bailed you out and I didn't have an answer for that um and so it was really a tense car ride my mom was definitely you know uh, upset just on the side of me because she hadn't seen me in so long and I still was very very skinny and just didn't look well and so um they told me that they were not going to allow me to come back to their house yet um because they weren't sure that they could trust me um and that was another significant moment for me to hear them actually say that to realize with them in front of me what I had done and how much pain and hurt I had caused. So they had arranged for me to stay with some friends. And if you had listened, uh, if you listened to episode five, the one before this, one of those, um, the people who wrote in um, about me was the person that I stayed with, with her family for a couple days. Um, so they took me there and dropped me off. And um, that was that. And it wasn't until the next morning that I called my lawyer and told him that I was out. And he said, I know I sent my secretary to bail you out. I couldn't let you stay in there any longer. It's just a very bizarre situation. I don't know that too many court-appointed attorneys would bail out their prisoner, but I, I guess he just really felt the need to get me out of jail. Um and my court date actually was a little bit later. It was actually not a, not as long a time as I had feared it would be. Um, but um, eventually I did go back to court. And it was actually a time when my parents were out of town. So somebody else had to take me. Another pastor from my church had to take me to my, um, to my court date. And they the judge sentenced me to, um, I want to say it was like 45 days or something like that, but he let me do time served and counted everything that I had already served and then said that was enough, like that I didn't have to serve anymore, which obviously I was grateful for. Um, and uh, then I also got two years probation, uh, which meant that every month I had to go see a probation officer, tell them what I was doing, could be drug tested at any time, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, when I first got out of jail, like I said, I stayed with some friends of my parents for a couple days and then, um, it was very uncomfortable. You know, I kept thinking if my parents don't trust me, how do these people trust me? Like, am I making them feel uncomfortable? And I didn't want that. And so, um, I left and went and stayed with another friend for some time and then eventually got a hotel, um, and started working, doing some day laboring and some other jobs that were not not great. But, you know, it gave me some money. I stayed away from drugs. And um, to this date, I've been drug free since the day I went to jail. So that's pretty incredible. And I'm, I'm, I am proud of that. And I'm grateful that I had the strength and the encouragement from others to do that. And of course, more than anything, I'm grateful to God for giving me that strength and helping me through that. Um, I did not give up alcohol. I did not give up cigarettes. But I definitely um, 
definitely was more careful with alcohol than in the past. And uh, it wasn't too long after I got out of jail that I was given a tremendous opportunity um, by a dear friend who uh, whose family attends my church. Um, and she gave me a job, a real job, in a real place, making real money. And from that point, you know, as far as the drugs, the jail, uh, you know, running with the wrong people... I really didn't look back. Like I was able to get on track. I was able to get my own apartment in downtown Atlanta. I got a nice car. Like everything started to fall into place. But I did not give up the partying lifestyle. There was no more drugs, but I still liked to party. I still liked to drink um, and just hang out, you know, and do ridiculously stupid and crazy things. Nothing, nothing illegal, obviously, but... Um, you know, I still needed a little bit more growth. And after about a year and a half, I realized that the only way I was going to be able to make a complete change in my life was to, to move away. I had so many friends in Atlanta and so many influences and distractions and people that I was like, they were magnets. I just, I wanted to spend time with them, which is not a bad thing. And these people were not bad. It just for my for my own sake, I needed to make that change. I needed to turn that corner, and to do that, I needed to move away. And so, my very best friend uh, lived in Kentucky at the time in Lexington with her husband, and I went to visit her for like not even a week, for maybe like four days. And while I was there, and I hadn't ever intended this to happen, but while I was there, I fell in love with the place. And I just knew that's where I needed to be. And so I called my mom and I said, Mom, I want to move to Kentucky. And, you know, first they're like, what? And, and you know, I just told them, I, this is what I need to do. I need to move away and I need to move here. I have people who I love and who love me here as well. So it's not like I would be alone. Um, so within a month, I quit my job and given up my apartment and had gotten an apartment in Kentucky and (laughs) didn't have a job yet, but moved there anyway. Uh, Thankfully, I was hired within like the first week uh, to work for a hotel um, at their front desk. And I was there for about three months. um, And I loved it. I really did. I loved it. I loved everything about that town. Um, Unfortunately, That's where my next big struggle or my big challenge came. That is where um, things took another nosedive. And I learned some more just invaluable lessons. Um, Unfortunately, not the easy way. But I will leave that for the next episode. Uh, But hopefully that kind of gives you an idea of where like how the whole jail thing played out and how God just worked in and through my life and in and through the life of the people um, who came to visit me, who helped me along the way, who wrote to me, who prayed for me, who took me in, who gave me opportunities. Um, you You really can't not have hope. I know that's... That's a double negative, but like 
for me, looking back, just seeing and feeling and remembering all these things that took place and how they took place and, and, you know, the order that they took place, I know it was part of God's perfect plan. Now, I'm not saying God wanted me to go to jail. Not at all. But um, I did go to jail, and he used that to work through me so that I could learn and I could develop as a person. I could, um, you know, just become a better Christian and I could truly understand all the things that I had done wrong, um, and learn from that and hopefully turn away from that. Of course, like I said, it didn't, didn't happen overnight. Um, there's always going to be issues, you know, and challenges and things that we face in life. Um, and that's just unavoidable, but when you know that God is there and he's giving you that strength and he's helping you get through anything, um, it's all, all that really, really matters, you know? So I'm going to sign off for tonight or today, I should say. Um, I'm going to read my life verse. I do this at the end of every episode just because I really want people to understand that, that this is, this verse is everything to not just meet it, but to anybody, you know, life on earth is not easy. Uh, yes, we make our own decisions and, you know, we, we determine a lot of what we do in our lives. Um, but you know, God, if we put our faith in God and allow him to direct us, to guide us, um, and to just trust that, that he's got it, like he's going to let us fall because that's what we need to do to be able to get back up. Like, that's okay. Um, but he's never going to leave us. He's going to give us that strength. And I just encourage you today, like if you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, gosh, I reach out to somebody, you know, um, talk to somebody. It's, it's not an easy thing for sure. Like, you know, when you don't know Christ, it may be a little daunting. It may be a little nerve wracking. It may be a little overwhelming even, but I promise you that once you give your life to Christ, everything just falls into place. It becomes so much clearer. Um, and you know, you can really appreciate life in a whole, whole other way that is just amazing and wonderful and beautiful. Uh, so my life verse, I'm going to read it today from the English standard version of the Bible. Uh, Philippians four 13, it says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So no matter what you're going through, uh, God is going to give you that strength to make it through. And that is just such a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I will leave you now until next episode. Thank you again for listening. Um, and I just pray that uh, if you don't know Christ, that you will just invite him into your heart today and just allow him to just be everything for you that he possibly can be. Thank you and talk to you next time. Just want to give a shout out to Marty Michaels, who provided our intro and outro music for us for each episode. Check him out at martymichaels.com. That's Marty, M-A-R-T-Y, Michaels, M-I-K-L-E-S.com. He is a, a dear friend and a phenomenal musician, and you should definitely check out his work. Uh, so thanks, Marty, for providing the music for us.